Welcome everyone to another episode of Slasher Scotty. I am your host Scotty McCoy and boy do I have a surprise for all of you. I am grateful that my literary agent Eric Miller has got uh, you know put me in touch with ha Alan Howarth and he is the musical composer of Halloween's two through six. He did some sound uh, design in that for it as well and he's also going to be we're going to be using this interview for my next book Trick or Treat the ultimate quiz on Halloween. Hey, Alan, how are you doing? Hey, doing good, Scotty. Thanks for being with me today and uh, bring me on your show. Not a problem. I'm so glad we can make this happen. I owe a lot of gratitude for Eric. He's been a huge help for me uh, to get this book out and set up some interviews. And, uh, you mm -hmm. know, it's, this is going to be great. Yeah. So the first question I got for you is, how did you get your start into being a musical composer and sound designer? Um. It was, it was not planned at all. Again, if somebody knew somebody who knew somebody, uh, my first, uh, a quick, quick trace. I'm from the Cleveland area. I was a rock and roll guy. I played in some of the most popular bands at the time. We were, we were produced by a fellow named Bill Simzik, uh, who went on to produce the Eagles. Uh, Joe Walsh is a good buddy from all that stuff. Uh, and then that, that activity, I was always drawn to synthesizers and equipment and stuff like that. And so I started a little, uh, a little synthesizer shop in Cleveland, as odd that would seem. Uh, my customers were Trent Reznor and, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of rock bands and stuff like that. Uh, through that, I wound up hooking up to a, a jazz band called Weather Report uh, and became their keyboard synthesizer guy to set up because Joe and all an older gentleman, he was not technically versed, but he was uh, amazing at the black and white notes. So I was like the butler. Well, that got me to L.A. Another L.A., another Ohio buddy then moved to L.A., and he was working at Paramount Pictures, and he was in a transfer bay, you know, so they're making just copies of tapes and stuff like that. Two characters are behind him, a fellow named Steve Flick and Richard Anderson, and they're having a conversation how they need somebody who knows about synthesizers. So my buddy Pax turns around and goes, Oh, man, you got to talk to my buddy Alan, man. He works for Weather Report. <laughs> and they look at him and they go, weather report, is that the one at 7 o'clock or 11 o'clock? They're thinking <laughs> meteorology. Right. Nonetheless, they took my number, I went down, I met them, and they said, well, we're, we're starting on Star Trek, the motion picture. Awesome. So awesome. that was the time when Star Trek was no longer TV, it was going to be made into movies, and they were looking for what would now be sound designers. At the time, it was just somebody to make special sound effects. That's what was my title. But I, I made them a... a an audition tape, they asked for an audition tape, and one of the auditions was to make the sound of the Starship Enterprise going from warp one to warp seven. So it was like a, you know, there was, there was a scene where the, the Enterprise is gonna accelerate, accelerate. I made this little tape on my little dining room four track and a Prophet 5 synthesizer, which actually still, my buddy's back here. He's still, nice. still with us, that guy down there, Prophet 5, hey buddy. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's one of the originals. Uh, so anyway, I made him in this sound effect and that became the sound of the Enterprise. Nice. So that, that put me in the movie business, uh, being a sound effects person for the first Star Trek movie. Well, I went on to do Star Trek 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, because I was the Enterprise guy. Right. So anything to do with hardware, I was back for that. Well, the interesting thread is the picture editor from Star Trek The Motion Picture, a fellow named Todd Ramsey, his next movie was Escape from New York. Oh, nice. So, you know, I had been giving him my tapes, you know, promoting myself like that, and and so he, he was then working with John Carpenter, and, and he, he said, you know, I, I think you and John would get along great. You should meet him. So 
Uh, Todd arranged to have John Carpenter come out to my little Star Trek dining room studio in Glendale. And we sat around and, you know, and played sounds and talked. And at the end of the meeting, he goes, yeah, let's do it. Nice. Now nice. I'm a composer. So, uh, you know, a lot of gratitude to John Carpenter. Uh, but it worked out great because he had the movie and all his talent. I had the, the synthesizers in the studio. So initially I was the studio guy. I mean, my job was to keep everything working and in tune. And it was, yeah. it was all analog, clunky patch cables and craziness. But at the same time, you know, I was a musician and, and he's, he, you know, he allows people to grow. So he let me kind of start to chum in and chime in and add on and, and really produce the synthesizer part of the whole thing. Right. So, so that was Escape from New York. Well, then at the, at the end of that uh, Escape from New York mixing session, I'm sitting with John and we're kind of tuning up a lot of things. And he looks at me and goes, hey, Alan, you know, I'm going to be busy on this next movie, uh, The Thing. So uh, they want to make a sequel to Halloween, so you're going to do Halloween. So he just like handed off Halloween to me and said, well, here you go. Nice. You know? So he was, he was too busy anyhow, so I went on to do Halloween 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 as the, the other guy, let's say. You know? So Halloween 2, John wasn't there, but I used John's original score as the model and made Halloween 2 and overdubbed and made it, you know, made it more gothic and changed the textures. And then when it came to Halloween 3... Uh, John came back in the studio because he wanted to play. Right. Know? So we did Halloween 3 together, and, and the, the score is actually still holds up very well. The movie itself was bashed because it didn't have Michael Myers in it. Right. But at the time, Carpenter's idea was, well, let's break away from Michael Myers. Let's start doing Halloween movies that are about Halloween events. Right. And every year we could have a different anthology, et cetera, et cetera, so that, that Halloween 3 was the first of the experiments. But everybody went, what happened to Michael Myers? Where did he go? So... So at that point, John, John says, I had enough of this. So he handed over back to Mustafa Akkad, and, and that's the, the Trancus people, and they're the ones that still manage the franchise. Right. And uh, it still keeps going, and, and golly, they're going to have another one this year. I know, and then there's one right after that next year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you can't kill it. Exactly. So, um, so like, what was it like collaborating with John Carpenter on Halloween 3? Uh, I, I remember him coming in. And uh, in the studio, he brought me the latest records, you know, LPs, because it was before any of this other stuff. This would be 1983. Yeah. Uh, played me the latest Tangerine Dream music. And then uh, he looked at me and, you know, he was very pleased with what we had done on Escape from New York. And he says, Alan, this is going to be really easy. All we got to do is rip ourselves off. Right. <laughs> Let's just keep doing what we're doing. Let's have fun with the synthesizers. And. And so the first cue that we dialed up is that uh, what we call Chariots of Pumpkins, that sort of the chase in the beginning. Yeah. So that was the first cue of Halloween 3, which was all sequencing. So I pretty much set up and dialed up the, the sequencing and kept recording it. He just kept nodding and going, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. So that was, that was my really my, my first sort of big stroke of making a score right. for one of, the, one of the Halloween movies because I didn't have to inherit dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun right. over and over again. Uh, and that, that just sort of launched that movie, and we had a lot of fun. But it was always very casual. It was just two guys. We're the same age. He's from Kentucky. I'm from Ohio. So we've had a lot of the same cultural backgrounds and experiences and viewpoints. And, and it was just always fun. It was always fun. So, like, with um, Halloween 3, like, did, like, we know there was no Michael Myers. Did you know that, uh, like, bringing back Michael Myers at the time, a lot of people wouldn't agree with that? Or what were you thinking at the time? Like, you didn't you think much of it? or? No, my, well, as far as Carpenter was concerned, they killed Michael Myers at the end of two. 
Right. So it was done. Yeah. And then so, like I said, it was it was going to launch into Halloween three season of the Witch, Halloween four, who knows what Samhain, and you know, back to this, and each would be a, a, a Halloween centric movie, but they 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 you know they'd explore different themes and stuff like that. Right. But at the end of it, uh, the producer said, "Well, wait a minute. Everybody wants Michael Myers. We don't want to do this." So they 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 sort of you know said, "Okay, well, fine. Do what you want to do." And John John went on to do other stuff, and they keep kept Michael Myers alive. Yeah. And even John admits now. He says, "I guess I was wrong. I guess there was. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there was still some more life in that in that character." Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the end of two, Michael Myers, he was dead. Like, I mean, he he did catch on fire. He was engulfed in flames, and he dropped down. And same with Doctor Loomis, he was in that explosion. Yeah, so exactly. it, it was the end of it. I mean, it was supposed to be the end of it technically. At the end of that, I personally like Halloween three. I really do enjoy that film. I, I and the score is really good. Like, I really enjoy it. Well, if you take Halloween and you would just call it Season of the Witch, it'd be fine. Yeah, a lot of people okay. wouldn't associate it with Michael Myers. Right, exactly, and then it would, as a standalone, it's it, it's got its own traction. It's got its own life. Yeah. Uh, I I know I, I I play concerts and I put the Halloween three music in the concert as some of the best music that we did. So, and people enjoy that. So. That's awesome. It really is cool. I and I I do love, like I said, I love Halloween. The score is really cool. Um, and it's different from like the original Halloween theme. So that it gives it its own breath, its own life. Yeah, it was it was a change. Cha it was an almost Halloween, but not Halloween. Right. Michael Myers. Exactly. And, so, and then we got and then we got to Halloween four, mm -hmm. and now so Mustafa Kad says, "Well, we're going to make some more." I get the call. Hey, you want to do the music? So I actually literally I, we were working on Big Trouble in Little China at the time, and I you know we're in the studio. And I says, "Hey, John, I got a call from the you know from those guys. They they want me to do this thing. I wanted his blessing. I didn't want to be sneaking right. around." And have him find out what I was doing. So he says, "No, no, do what you want, man." He says, "You know, I'm I'm done with that stuff. Go for it." Yeah. So so then I became the composer of Halloween four, five, and six. Of each had a different director and a different little twist mm -hmm. on how they were going to make their Halloween better than the last one. Mm -hmm. And then obviously that that went through a, a series of you know Halloween seven and Halloween H T what it was H T O and there's Jewel an eight. Resurrection, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They, they got farther and farther away from yeah. the spirit of what Halloween was, but now Blumhouse uh, had this great idea of some way to resurrect the franchise and just basically say there was no sequels. We're just going right from the Halloween yeah. Yeah. one to where we're at now, forty years later. Right. So, so now, have you seen the 2018 version? Uh, actually, I haven't. I need to sit okay. down. I, I listened to the score that uh, John did a great job. You know, he's, he's, he's working with Cody and Daniel, which is his son and his godson, and three of them have the band. They've been out touring, so you know he he always treasured his music as as a as as valuable. But a lot of people didn't give him credit. Like, how could he be the director and still be the write his own music? What's that all about? But <laughs> uh, you know, Carpenter's music is extremely simple. Yeah, and for a lot of musicians. The, the the lack of complexity uh, makes them think it, it has no value. But he's actually he's got the the minimalist touch. Yeah. He only does a little bit, but it works. Absolutely. And so that's something I definitely. You know, I was very privileged to be in the studio with him for for eight movies, and you know, be a collaborator, whatever you want to say, in the studio. Watch him do his thing, and then share in that experience and learn from him how to write music for movies 
from a dramatic standpoint. Yes. You know, where do you put the music? Where do you stop the music? I mean, one of the themes was let the actors act. If the actors are doing a good job, don't give them any music. But let, let them just do that. Yeah. But then we're going to do transition. We're going to go someplace new. We're going to do a new scene. Want to set a new mood. Uh, Carpenter said one time, he said the, the music was the, the director's velvet glove. That's that's a very good point. A very good like. You know, that that's how you touch your audience without them know they're being touched. Yeah. You know through yep. the music. And the music that can make or break a movie, literally, like it can make or break a movie. The music, oh, the sound, the audio, all that. Yeah, and, and sometimes the, you know, the, the composer does too much. Yeah. When you start noticing the music, you're not doing a good job. Yeah. Holidays you're supposed to go with the go on the ride that's been created for this hour or ninety minutes and just be sucked into it and care about the characters and go up and down and get scared and not scared and have sympathy or excitement or whatever. And that's the musicals, uh, the bed it lives on itself. You know, it's, it's not supposed to be. A thing. I mean, every now and then there's a a montage scene where the it's it's like a, a music video where the music it's all about the music and you have right. just you know these the scenes going through. But that's but that, that's that's the exception rather than the rule. Right. So was there a reason why you didn't come back for like Halloween H2O and Resurrection and all that? Well, I think it was now a regime change, right? New director, John Oppen was the film editor and he wanted to score it. And actually he did score it uh, orchestrally. And then uh, it, got, it got tossed out and they went back to the Scream guy and, and, and used literally cuts from Scream. So there was a, a bit of a creative yeah. moment there on, on seven so i'm, I'm kind of glad i missed it because <laughs> i would have probably done similar to what he did you know just reworking the halloween themes and yeah and absolutely or, or whatever but uh, ottman's night guy he's still around and then after that you know right. we, we carry on you know right. I, I still I, I made i made soundtrack albums or cds i guess now of all that music and that still lives on youtube and spotify and pandora just as the music. Uh, an interesting note, I remember when we were, we were finishing Escape from New York, and I said they want to make a soundtrack album of the, of the music. And he goes, John says, really? Somebody would want to listen to that? I went, yeah, yeah, it's good music. So he said, okay, well, do what you want. You know, so he's been, he was always very, he was, he, he's not a hands-on uh, um, micromanager, right? Right. He wants people to do their thing and do it well and just check in with me. He he told me one time, he says, Alan, it's really easy to be a director. He says, you only need to know two words, yes and no. <laughs> and that's Good it. Good yes, I like it. No, I don't like it. He says, don't give people, give it to me both ways and I'll decide later. You're just making more work for everybody. Right. And he says, even if you say no today and it's yes tomorrow or vice versa, that's okay. Right. But but you are the director. You're giving direction to the whole project. So you want to be directing, Absolutely. and not and not sit in the audience and try to decide what's going on. Absolutely. You know. So there's a lot of wisdom that he shared with me that I, I take with me. You know, from I know the rest usually, of my days. Usually during like the Halloween season, like I'll have on YouTube on my phone, and I'll just listen to the hollow all the Halloween themes back to back to back on loop, like for every single one as I fall asleep, just. Something to listen to. to I don't know. It just soothes me. I, I love it, especially during the spooky season. It's just something I enjoy. Well, it still holds up. I, you know, I would have never envisioned in 1981, 82, 83 that you and I would be on a, 
on a computer having a video conference still talking about that music. Yeah, but it, it, it's withstood the test of time, so I guess it goes into yeah. the, the, the forever bin, you know? Absolutely. Exactly. So was there like a hard, was, was there a hard part or something that you, I guess, came across that was difficult when making any of the sound bits or any of the music or any of that stuff for any of the movies? Um, the one that was most challenging was Halloween 6. Okay. And that was because the... The director made his version of Halloween, but the Weinsteins were involved. Mm -hmm. And so once we finished the first version, which finally got released as, quote, the producer's cut, mm -hmm. and I, I scored the movie once, and now it was time to go back and amp it up. They wanted it to be more exciting, more, just give me more, more scary, more everything. So I really went back and added a lot of rock and roll to the score. So I actually scored that one twice. Oh, nice. And, and now... Even the director's got, he's being managed remotely by the Weinsteins in New York, so everything's got to be previewed and, you know, somebody's messing with it. So that was a challenge just to, to outdo myself one more time. Yeah. But uh, it, it came out good. Yeah. yeah, it did. And I mean, you could tell the differences between the both. And I have read that the reason why they're so different is because the Weinsteins went it one way. And, you know, the director wanted it a whole new way, a different way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it, like, you could tell, like, the last 30 minutes of the movie is completely different from each other. It yeah, really yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they, they started messing with it. They, they quote, knew better. Yeah. But it was their money. So, you know, they had a lot of influence. <laughs> Absolutely. So what was your uh, most favorite uh, Halloween film to work on for the school? Um, the most fun for, well, Halloween 3 was its own fun. Because right. it was. But of the Michael Myers, for me, the big experience was Halloween 4, because that was the first time I was cut loose. Okay. Right? The only thing, uh, Mustafa called, called me up and he says, Alan, I just got to make sure I hear that Halloween theme every time I see Michael Myers. Other than that, go for it. Nice. You know? And so, obviously, the, the original Carpenter themes are established. You know, you've now got a franchise. You're going to hear those. Yeah. There's about four or five sort of standard pieces that you make the score out of but now you're going to reorchestrate resynthesize in this case uh you know give it different textures mm -hmm. and so so on halloween four i really went into my rock roots i was a big pink floyd guy and so i really took the my in, pink floydy influences and put that on halloween music nice nice and, and it's funny when i was uh, you know back to the cleveland days i was like the pink floyd of of cleveland at a time I was already in quadraphonic. We already had tape cues. You know, I was, I was a you know a junior Floyder for right. the area. Nice. So the kind of piggyback off of what your favorite was. How about like the worst or the one that was the least fun for you to work on? Mm, I always had fun. <laughs> you know, I I, I guess the, the Halloween five. The, the, the director really wanted to go, quote, back to Halloween and really focus on the piano. Yeah. So, so he, he, he sort of tied me down as opposed to cutting me loose. I guess that would be the, the unfun part of it as opposed to, hey, you know, you're great. Go for it. No, I want this and I want that and I want that. Yeah. And, he went, and, and again, he was the yes, no guy, right? Right. So, so he was doing what he was supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was less fun, but none of it, none of it was a bummer. Right, that's awesome. And I, I personally enjoy all of the all the Halloween films, even like the ones that aren't the most popular, including like Halloween Resurrection and all that. Like I do enjoy all of the Halloween films, like and the music to them, like they're all similar 
to an extent because they have that John Carpenter chord to it, like that that piano to an extent. Mm -hmm. And then, but a lot of them are also like like they're enhanced by the composer, whether it's yourself or somebody else that was working on it. Like they they all have yeah. their own touch to it. Yeah, and then obviously the Rob Zombie stuff at the end had a whole another whole twist on it. Yeah, you know, and that was Zombie and uh, Tyler Bates. You know. yeah. And he's got on to be his own thing right now. So, yeah. so much like a, in some ways, Star Trek created a huge opportunity for a lot of people. Yeah. In some ways, Halloween did the same. It brought a lot of people a chance to, to take their at bat and do their thing, and then you know grow from there. Right. So, did you see all the Halloweens that you worked on? Oh sure. Nice. Which one yeah, do you think you is your favorite? Uh, Separate from Michael Myers, I still like the the Halloween three. Uh, yeah. It's really a lot of fun. In the Michael Myers world, four really gave gave it the good restart. Yeah. But then, but then the Halloween six Weinstein version was another another flavor. Yeah. Completely. Yeah, they they all had their different their own different formula to it. Like they, yeah. they continue the story arc, but they still went into its own direction. Mm -hmm. Like even with Halloween four, that was the start of the uh, the uh, Curse of Thorn story arc, and it ends with Halloween six. So yeah. like they're its own storyline, but they still continue from Halloween's one to two, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean he's a boogeyman; you can't kill him. Right. Um, somehow, the doctor in the insane asylum he gets out and does it again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like with Dr. Loomis, he never died until, I guess you could say he died in at the end of Halloween 6, the theatrical version. Um, yeah. you, can, you can kind of take it that way. It dep depends how you look at it because it was the last movie Donald Pleasance did because he died in real life. And uh, like he, all you hear is his scream. So you think, did Michael Myers get him? So you can kind of, I guess, assume that Michael got in there. But if you watch the producer's cut, he's not dead. <laughs> no, no, they wasn't planning on ending it. I mean, <laughs> You know, you've got you've got this. I'll call it a franchise because that's what they call it. You've got this character. You've got a title. You got what he does. It's the knife and the mask are the the big iconic. And you do that every time when you got a Halloween movie. Yeah. So yeah, they 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 had intent to just keep making them, and Absolutely. here we are. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I actually have a uh, not really a replica. It's more of a hard rubber, but the Michael Myers Halloween two knife here. <laughs> I, I, I used it for I got it off Amazon and I used it in one of my indie films. But uh, <laughs> but it's actually it's it's, it's actually pretty stir, sturdy. It's, it's pretty that's, good ex, that's, that's extra large there. That's yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's just hard, like a hard like a hard rubber kind of thing to it. It's pretty uh -huh. good. So the last question I got for you is, uh, do you have any other projects that you have in the works um, that you're doing any type of music or sound for that you would like to promote to the listening and viewing audience? Sure. Um, a couple of things to check out. I did a movie about a year and a half called, called Hoax, H-O-A-X. Uh, new director, Matt Allen. It was his first. He's been a, uh, a assistant director for you know career, but this is really his big love project. Uh, it's a Bigfoot movie. Nice. And it was interesting when he approached me. He says, "Alan, I don't want to. I, I don't want you to use any of that digital stuff. I want you to use all the analog stuff for the old days. I want. Uh, I want what you did then one more time. So, I got to do that for him, and that came out really well. Uh, currently, there's one movie in the can that'll be called Cosmic um, Cosmic Dawn. It's a movie out of uh, out of Toronto. It'll probably be released in the next within the next year." Okay. But uh, but still in the can that's floating there, 
and currently I'm working on one that's that's a it's a little bit of a twist. I'm working with a Sean Stone, who's a Oliver Stone's son. Oh, nice. And this one's called The Best Kept Secret. And this is sort of a, it's a documentary for sure, but it's, I'm amping it up okay. sonically. And it explores this, this real world issue of uh, how the elites have used children in very bad ways to manipulate stuff. Nice. Financing and government and relationships and, you know, touches on the Jean Benet and the, the Jeffrey Epstein and all this other stuff. So the challenge there is, in fact, I knew Sean because I worked on another project. And I called him up and says, hey, Sean, I know what you're going there. He says, I, I've done evil for 40 years. I can do this. And he yeah, agreed. Absolutely. But when I started giving him the real dark side, he says, no, we can't do that because we want, we want regular people to be exposed to the information. There's a lot of people that just deny this exists. Yep. So, so we've, we're... we're I don't want to say toning it down, but I'm shaping it to deal with the topic in a way that when you don't throw up at the end of it, you know, right. you, you've taken the information and then you start to consider, oh my God, this is real. You know, our, our lives have been changed because of what these people did and it wasn't good. Right. Uh, and so it, it has, it has chapters. So I just finished, literally finished chapter one yesterday. I'm in chapter two now and there, I think there'll be five chapters and uh, it's being sponsored by this guy, uh, Juan O'Savin. I don't know if you know who he is. Okay. And sort of this Jeff, uh, Robert, uh, Robert David Steele. They're these guys that are sort of the patriot, the patriots, uh, you know, behind the whole, you know, we, we need to really look at the election and what's going on here because we think this is not cool. Yeah. You know, so, so sort of that, I know it's conspiracy theory, but it's, it's turning more into conspiracy fact right. uh, rapidly. Awesome. You know, when we look at the data. So so that's there. And then I just released a couple Alan Howarth collections, okay. which are which are I'll call them still CDs, but they're you know, they're all download now. But I, I released uh, I, I took the, the COVID time to go into my archives and start making soundtrack albums of movies that never had soundtracks because you know they weren't that big a movie. But I you know it's funny, when I do a score, I don't da ever downgrade my music. You know, I'm still giving 100%. It's just that you may have a week or you may have six weeks, and that's what the difference yeah. is in the, in the degree of production, how much you can do. Yeah. There's another another one coming out uh, called Basement Jack that's good, and then another one called Brutal, which is a movie never been released by uh, by um, Michael Patrick Stevens. It's still been sitting in the can. He, he thinks he can do a better job, but it was a good job in the first time, so I'm just going <laughs> to start releasing the soundtrack. So, you know, like anybody, let, let's say you built 50 houses, some are better than others, but you still built them all. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And, and so, so if people are interested in the other stuff I've done. And then I have another twist, which is different than scary. I have a pet project that I'm calling Natural Resonance. Mm -hmm. And this is the idea of tuning music to different frequencies than what we use standard. I mean, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a whole sort of... A equals 432 club, and that's valid. Right. But I've gone, I've gone, and normally it's 440, so it's detuned a little bit. And supposedly, what it does is it tunes the, the, the music to be resonant to the physical world. Right. And, and, but now I've, I've actually, I'm working with a, a company, a group called the Academy of Future Science, and the founder is a guy named Dr. J.J. Hertog. He's a very famous author. Uh, and, Actually, we've gone on field trips and measured the acoustic properties of all the Mayan pyramids. Oh, 
Right. I went to Egypt and I measured the Egyptian pyramids and the architecture, which was a field called archaeoacoustics, the, the acoustic properties of these sacred sites. Turns out they're all tuned to the same stuff. Nice. So they were the, the architects had what we'll call higher knowledge. They were onto something that was secret or occult, whatever, but it's the same stuff. Right. So so my my conclusion is that whoever made the third dimension, the experience we're having now, et cetera, et cetera, I don't want to get too far beyond it, had a, a mathematical language that it's built on. Nice. And the core of that language is two ratios, mm -hmm. which in mathematics we call irrational. Mm -hmm. One is pi, remember pi r squared. Yep. And the other one is called phi or phi, which is the golden mean. Okay. So 432 is the golden mean ratio musically. And then I have a, a, a group of pi frequencies that tune to the chakras. All right. So, so I'm evangelating this whole idea of how one musical artist should be aware of this because you could tune to the heart chakra, it could tune to the crown chakra, it could tune to the root chakra if you wanted to dance music. So there's something there and how your response to the, the human response to it, and this is sort of standardized. And then I'm also working on an app so you could retune all your favorite music to these frequencies as a, as a matter of what you have on your phone. Nice. So if you have a favorite song, you could get more out of your favorite song by retuning it to one of your chakras or to your, to your aura. So oh, nice. I, have, I have a website called naturalresonance.net and anybody wants to check that out. Awesome. And then uh, also I have my web store, alanhoworth.com, and you know that's got all the stuff we're talking about. Right. And I sell CDs and LPs, and I have some books, music books, actual of a manuscript of the scores written out, yeah. and I sign everything. So that's, that's just sort of like for my fans, it's a place to to reach out and then watch for me. I'm looking forward to these conventions, you know, the Chiller and the Monster Mania and the, uh, all this stuff that's all stopped. I can't wait for it to start again. I have really had a lot of fun going to the com awesome. conventions and meeting people. That's awesome. Well, I thank you, Alan, uh, for joining me. Yeah, glad glad to good and. Uh, Good luck with the book and the, the Halloween uh, uh, trivia. And if you if you want to come back and ask some detailed questions about uh, stumpers on score and how did this happen or what was that, I'll, I'll be glad to share with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I thank you, Eric, uh, for uh, setting this up and helping me get in touch with Alan so we can have him a part of the book. All right. Um, so I thank you, Alan, so much. You have a great rest of your day and stay safe. All right, Scotty. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.